Good evening. So good, so good to be here. We're going to continue on this series in the um, called Wonders and Wrestlers. A study, a careful look into the very first book of the Bible, book of Genesis. And um, I know we kicked it off already last week. We're going to keep on with it. God has a special word for us, every one of us, uh, here this evening as we journey in this uh, amazing, uh, I, I, I think it's going to be an incredible series for us as a church. Every, every series is something special about this one. So we'll dig in here in just a quick second, but I couldn't go any further without two quick things. Number one, it is incredibly, indescribably, so I lack for words, which is rare, those of you who know me well, to express, you know, the, um, the joy, the honor, it's the grace of God to me, to my eyes, to see what God is doing here at Crossbridge Brickle. It was over 10 years ago when we launched right here on an Easter Sunday. And a few of you were actually uh, here. Debbie was here. We have Antonio Carlos and Elisette who were here that very Easter Sunday. And for year after year after year, we uh, trusted God for what he was doing and what he was to do. And uh, came and showed up every single Sunday. And uh, I don't think I had been in this building um, since the world has never been the same. Since COVID-19, I think 2018 might have been the last time. So I just want to express, you know, the honor, the gratitude, the joy, the honor that it is to be with you. I love you. We've prayed for you since before day one. And we've continued to be thinking and praying for you. We love your leadership, Pastor Carter, Moni, your elders, Phil and Justin, and, and so forth. We love uh, what God is doing here. And so there you have it. I've loved you before you even met me. So um, many of you. Number two, I want to bring greetings from your youngest sister at Homestead, Crossbridge Homestead, and uh, ask you to continue to, uh, to pray and to ask God's, God's spirits to continue to move in that part of our county. He's very much so at work, and you have every part in it, because we're one church, one family, and uh, it's, it's really exciting uh, to see what God's doing there, but uh, we don't do it alone, we do it together, right? One church, one family. One team, one fight, and so I uh, bring greetings. Uh, and not, I'm not alone. I think Kasia was up here with me, too, so we got more than one home, homesteader representing. What a joy. Let's open our uh, Bibles, and if you could uh, draw your attentions to whatever uh, Bible device you have, electronic device, phone, iPad, wherever you can find Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, chapter 15, and we're going to read the whole chapter. It's not that long, but I think it's important to... Um, encompass and to help us grasp really what, um, what the intended meaning, what the core message is for us here in this chapter of uh, Genesis. Genesis 15, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who inherited my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household would be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside, God took Abraham outside, and he says, look at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count and he said to him, so shall your offspring be. 
Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land, to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove, a young pigeon. Abram brought all these things to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite of each other. The birds, however, he didn't cut in half. Then birds of prey came on the carcasses. Abram, Abram drove them away. Verse 12, as the sun was setting, Abram fell in a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants would be strangers in a country not of their own, and they'll be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nations that they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried in good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sins of the Amorites has not reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoke and fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river of Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, Canaanites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, Jebusites. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your holy, inspired, infallible word, which never, ever comes back void. Like a double-edged sword, it pierces through the inmost part of our souls, and beyond merely informing us, it transforms us. Thank you for your living word, namely, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray that by your spirit, you would speak to us, open our minds, our hearts to the truth and the good news of the gospel. And all this we pray in your holy name. Amen. This passage we're studying is rather interesting, maybe known to some if you have read through Genesis before, and uh, in some ways a bit strange <laughs> when you read this account these ceremonial sort of rites within the Judaic context, and quasi-bizarre, if you would ask me. And if you're hearing it for the very first time tonight, you're wondering, what in the world is going on here? And there's this exchange between Abram, whose name is still Abram. You might say, no, Pastor, he's, you're mispronouncing. It's Abraham. Hold tight, we're going to get there. But it's this exchange between God and Abram, and back and forth, this dialogue, this exchange between a heavenly father and one who is later known as the greatest of all earthly fathers, the father of which he can't even count his offspring, his generation, father of many, the father of the faith, the patriarch of the Judeo-Christian faith. And here we have this interesting and sort of enigmatic, you know, we have to, what do we make of this exchange between God and Abraham? 
There's a word, and if you're taking notes, or if you caught it already, or highlighting, or circling, or whatnot, there's a word in this passage that appears over and over that uh, unlocks, it's a golden key that sort of unlocks and helps us understand the very core, the central message here in the passage. And it's very, very applicable to us. And the word is not a very common used word in our colloquial English, not a very common usually uh, used word in your vocab, uh, in your workspace, in your neighborhood, maybe in your home and whatnot. The word is covenant. Now, I leaned over to Brandon earlier because we were singing, and, and, it's, and it's on our worship song. Sometimes I think we bulldozer through these words, but do we really grasp it? Do we really understand it? What is the real deep depth meaning of this term? Very important. I want to frame it with that. It's important, if anything, we understand what that means here tonight, and you will see the importance of it. Now, to be a little more participatory, if you would, and... Um, when you think or when you hear the word covenant, what, is, what does immediately come to your mind? What are some synonyms? How would you, what, what does that mean when you hear that to you? Sorry? A contract, that's right. A promise. A agreement. A bondage. Okay. Think about it. Etymologically, in other words, I went and looked at, what, what is that? Where did we take that word? Where did we get that word from? The word comes from the old Latin word, covenir. Covenir, to which we, did, we get the English word, to convene. Which means to what? To gather. To come together. Interesting. Our understanding sometimes of that word, it's much, uh, a much colder term. It's a much more at arm length sort of term. I sign over here. It's a contract, an agreement. It's a way of uh, sort of binding, right? Someone said that bondage. I like bondage. We're going to get to that, you know? Yeah. But no one thinks of it in terms of it. It's the word where it really expresses the idea of relationship, to convene, to come together, to become what? One. To become one. Now, you might have a car lease. That's a contract, right? It's an agreement. There's terms. Has anyone, by way of honesty and vulnerability here tonight, ever read all the fine prints of a car lease that you made or of a loan? Come on. Just tell me the truth. Every word of it. All right. We got, got a champion here. Front row. It's got terms. Blessings and curses. If you keep it, get to drive it. If you don't pay for it, there's consequences. Credit score, so forth and so forth. They'll come after you, whatnot. Marriage, contract. <laughs> Uh-oh, lost half of the crowd. It's true. I have to be reminded of that on a daily basis. It's a covenant of sorts, commitment, with a great cost, great sacrifice, but with huge blessings as well. Mortgage. Anybody has a mortgage? Notice I'm, I'm sort of leading you into it already, into the etymology of the word. Mortgage. Get it? Somewhat, some of you work with it on a daily basis. What does that mean? Mort. From where we drive the word. Morbid. That's right. Mortuary. Death. Stick a fork. Cold. Done. In other words, Old English, right? It, the, 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 the French started to use it, 
because the idea there is that you would sign it with your life. If you don't pay it, it's not like nowadays, 2022. We'll come and uh, put a lien on it. How wimpy is that? Put a lien. Don't put a lien. Come after your life. You're signing this with what? Not with ink, but with blood. Mortgage. It's a covenant. Now, I'm far uh, convinced, and so are you, that that is not a popular idea or term in our culture, is it? Never before have we ever, ever lived in a culture that thinks less of the idea of a covenant, of binding contract, or sticking it out, of making any kind or keeping any kind of vow, seeing anything through, enduring, persevering, signing on the dotted line. It's simply not a value of our world and of our culture. There's nothing noble about it. And we often hear, and sometimes we ourselves, we say, I don't make contracts with anyone because I don't trust anyone. I don't want to be what? Stuck to anyone or to anything. Yet, and here is what I would call one of these golden nuggets, right, of the evening. If you haven't gotten anything yet, yet, that is intrinsic to who God is. He is a covenantal God. It is intrinsic to understanding who God is and his character and his nature and in every way in which and by which he relates to his people and to us. So let's look at this quick text here in three ways. The covenant giver, the covenant breakers, and the covenant keeper. The covenant keep giver, the covenant breakers, and the covenant keeper. Number one, the covenant giver. The most strange, if you will, part of this text, as I alluded to already, is in verse 17, 18, right towards the end. That's when we hear that after God has uh, sort of an initial preliminary exchange with Abraham, he says, go out there, bring me a hef, right? Bring me these animals, and here's what I want you to do. Now, to us, it's a rather interesting and very foreign idea of sort of binding or making a covenant with this, with these, with this sign and this seal, to do it in, in, in this way. But it wasn't very foreign and strange to the people at the time. That's what they would do. And the way the covenant works and described, as described in verses 17 and 18 is more or less like this in colloquial English. We're going to reenact here the terms of this contract and what we're both saying to one another is, may it happen to me or may it happen to whichever party doesn't keep their end of the bargain. So bring these animals. There's going to be a ceremonial ritual here of a, of a sacrifice because the governing, the normative people there then, and we see this in, in all throughout scriptures, that without shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Do you see? That's the premise so I want you to bring these animals, slaughter them, cut them in half, separate them apart from one another, almost like there's an aisle in between. And the two of us, we're going to walk through it hand to hand. Not just myself, not just you, both of us. And what we're saying is, 
to the extent that we don't keep our end or hold on to our end of the bargain, may it happen to one of us as it is to these animals. Now, that's a gruesome picture. It's very visceral here. If you are um, visual and like me, you can, you're starting to picture this. There's blood everywhere. There's, a, there's carcasses that Abraham is trying to, like, you know, scare these crows or vultures from and whatnot. I mean, there's blood. There's flesh. I mean, it's a gruesome picture there. But a very, very, very visceral reminder, right, of the curses of, of not keeping this covenant. Well, that's what God offers. He is the covenant giver. Now, Abraham looks at it, and he goes, whoa, all right, let's go. And he walks through it, comes back, and in his exchange with God, he says, all right, I see the curse of the covenant. Is there any benefits? What do I get out of this? What are we really dealing with here? God goes, I'll give you a land. Take everything. I brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. I have more land for you. I'm going to give it to you. Pack everything up. Let's go. He goes, where? God says, to Nunya. You know where Nunya is? <laughs> he goes, okay, fine. You delineate all this land, you know, all this geographical area. You're going to give me all that? Yeah, sure, because I'm going to give you a big descendants. I'm going to give you a big descendants. Look at the stars. More than these stars. You can't even count the stars. I'll give you more descendants. I'm going to make you fruitful, fertile and fruitful. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to use you as a huge blessing. Abraham will go, great. God, I've got a problem. I don't have a kid. I'm 95 right about now. And that's the beauty of this text. I want to call your attention to, to fall in love with it, to drop a tear here this evening, tonight, as we focus on this first point of the covenant giver. Right on verse 1, he says, you don't get it, do you? I am the covenant giver, and not only that, I am your shield, and I am your great reward. I'm your highest possession. I'm your prize, and nothing else compares to me. Abram, you think what I can give you, you think that the extent of my generosity and my grace to you are these things that I mentioned, land and a generation and an offspring. I want to give you myself. I'm your shield and I am your great reward. In that he says that he is shield. He says, Abram, what are you afraid of? I am your protector. I'm your defender. I am your dwelling. I am your home. I'm your deliverer. I'm your rescuer. I will go with you, alongside of you. I'll go before you. I will put a hedge of protection around you. I am your shield. Not only that, I am your greatest reward. What God is saying to him and to you and to me today, the covenant giver, is that I'm everything. Everything you have ever dreamed of, all the joy and bliss and delight, all the happiness and fulfillment, I am everything. I alone am your true love. I am your shield. I will always be with you. You will never be alone. Now, it's not, it's not, not, that alone is not a good promise to you tonight. Maybe, are you feeling lonely? It says you'll never, ever be alone, no matter where I send you. Because wherever you are, I will be there with you and for you. I will never break a covenant. I can never break a promise. I never have. I never will. I will never break your heart. 
How many of you are holding really tight to your heart? To your affections? To your homage? To that which gets you up in the morning? To what you're chasing? God says, I'm better than that. I will never let you down. You know why? Because in contrast to yours and my worthless idols, even the ones we make it for ourselves, which asks everything of us and gives nothing in return, the God of the universe says, I'll give you everything of myself, all of who I am to you. What are you holding on to, Abram? Or to me and to you this evening? What do we deem more important, more valuable than the covenant giver himself? This is the absolute truth. And before we jump into point two, real quick here, and you've probably heard this before. It's true. It holds through all, all through life. It's only when you reach the very bottom, when everything falls apart, when all of your schemes and your cisterns and resources are broken and exhausted, that you finally open, that you and I are finally open to learning how to completely lean and depend on God and fall in his loving arms and to hear his tender whisper, I'm the covenant giver. And beyond anything that I could ever give, provide, I'm giving myself to you. And you've heard this before here at Crossroads at some point. You'll never know, I think I have that up too, you'll never know that God is all you need until he's all you have. Matthew 10, 39 says, whoever finds their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. You see, the covenant giver himself was so ready, willing, and able to give us far more than we could ever fathom. He gives himself. Well, leads us to point two, the covenant breaker. So if you have a covenant giver, there are those on the recipient end of it, and we must consider what do they do? What's often and always the pattern of those who receive the covenant? Well, it's evident that God's invitation to Abram and to each and every one of us is to belong to him, to walk with him, to trust him in obedience, and what he has for us is great more than anything this world could offer, as we said. Yet, all of us, every single one of us, due to the indwelling sin, due to the spiritual blindness, and because our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked above all things, we don't even know our hearts. All of us have in us an infinite capacity to break the promises that we make, to break the covenant that we make, precisely the one with God. None of us can hold to our end of the bargain with us. None of us have. No one who's ever walked the earth has kept his end of the bargain. We're always trying to make a cost-benefit analysis by asking, sure, since the garden, sure, this is what God is promising me. And it's great. It looks really, really good and great. But there has to be something better, you see? So that I can circumvent and not have to keep. Now, where does that stem from? So you and I, we know deep, deep, deep inside there's this propensity to not want to keep the covenant. Trust me, I didn't say that you don't want to. I said that you can't. I've never done a premarital counseling with any couple as, as mad in love as they've been, as they are constantly, right? It's often, you can only imagine, right? In fact, I used to do premarital counseling in like five sessions, then I did it in three. Now I do it in one. I'm considering doing a half, you know, just over the phone. Because it's, what can I say to them? <laughs> I said, see, I don't think you guys are ready. I think she'll be sure. 
<laughs> July 29th, you know. Show up in a suit. We're getting married anyways. That's how it is. Never, ever any couple have said to me, Pastor, would you talk with us, pray with us, bless us, because I want this thing to run. It's like it lasted about three to four years, and that would be pretty good. After that, I can't really promise anything, you know. I don't intend to break this covenant, you know, this promises, these vows that I'm going to make before God and before others, but it might happen, and so, you know, just bless us for about three or four or five years maybe at best. Or a year or six months. I don't know. No one's intended to. I'll tell you, if, we, if you indulge me and you give me another extra minute and a half, I'll tell you this story. True story. My mom's best friend had, uh, her daughter was getting married. And uh, it was a turbulent sort of a dating and engagement and whatnot. You've seen those stories, okay? It turned into movies. It's a, it's a soap opera. These things, they're on and off, on and off, all this. And my mom said, you sure she's going to be? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's sure. It's Madeline Levin. In fact, they've already planned. They have the dates. And my mom said, okay, whatever. I'll be there for you, for her friend, my mom's best friend. Wedding day came. She was there. She helped her prep, decorate, sweaty, went home, uh, picked us all up. and said, you know, it's wedding day. Let's go. What not? Ceremony was great. Everybody did their part. Reception, everybody ate all they could, drank all they could, danced the night away, and then everybody was gone. And my mom was there alone with her friend, her best friend, with the bride and the groom. And the groom leaned over to the bride as they were kind of breaking down, cleaning things up. And he said, hey, I uh, didn't want to worry. I didn't want to stress you about it. But uh, just so you know, I uh, wasn't able to make reservations for the ticket, for the airline ticket for tonight. But I got them for tomorrow, tomorrow morning. I knew. I knew it. I knew what you were going to do. You're gonna me- I knew you were going to mess it up. Where are we going to go? And he goes, don't worry about it. Talk to my parents, and uh, we can go to, a, to uh, my parents' house. She goes, like, no way. I'm not going to your parents' house. No way. He goes, okay, very patient. So, well, what's the alternative? Where would you like to go? She says, we should go to my parents'. And he goes, wait, 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 wait. You're joking, right? I've told you I've never set my foot there again. I don't have anything against them, we're not, but I'm not, just, I'm not getting anywhere near close to those people. There's no way. She goes, I'm not going to your parents. She goes, let's go. Come on. Just this one time. She goes, I'm not going to your parents. She goes, let's go to my parents. He goes, let's go to my parents. She goes, let's go to my parents. He goes, let's go to my parents. She goes to her, her parents. He goes to his parents. That's it. True story. That's it. Like you're looking at me like, okay. No, that's it. It happens. Hey, wait, wait. Mirror. Mirror, mirror on the wall. You take an honest inventory of your own life, your own heart. You and I, we have that same capacity. Each and every one of us. We are by nature, because we're born to this world physically alive, spiritually dead. We're by nature covenantly unfaithful. There is a covenant giver. And all there is are covenant breakers. Each and every one of us. It's not that we don't want to. It's our incapacity, our inability. It's right here that we see God's marvelous plan and his promise to Abram that from his seed, God was going to save the world. Yes, God's redemptive plan unfolding right before Abram's eyes. Yes, a people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, not on the basis of Abram's religious compliance. God, you know I'm a great patriarch, the father of the faith. Well, he didn't know that at the time either. God doesn't count. 
You're still operating in a mode of your own self-righteousness, of your own performance. You, in and of yourself, left your own. You're a covenant breaker, like Abram, like myself. It's not on the basis of your compliance, not on the basis of your ability to keep the, covenant, the terms of the covenant, God's law, but on, solely on the basis of God's sovereignty to keep his covenant with us and for us. The Christian faith is not the call to come and obey a certain moral code. So you may have the best chance at earning a right standing with God. The Christian message, the good news of the gospel is not advice, it's news, it's good news. Where God says, because I know that you're completely unable to meet the requirements, the demands of this covenant, I will do it in your place. And so he reenacts the terms of the covenant and bears the curse you and I rightly deserve, which leads us to our third and last point, the covenant keeper. So here's the dilemma. There's a covenant giver. There's a covenant breakers, which is all of us. And if we just stopped right there, that would have been pretty desperate. That would be bad news. It leaves us desperate and hopeless because either we ourselves atone for our disobedience and our rebelliousness and we bear the weight of God's wrath and God's justice, we become atonement for our own disobedience, for our own sin, for our own breaking of the covenant. And in that case, none of us stand a chance unless right option two help comes to us from outside of us unless there is hope to you and to me where helps comes to us from outside of us the God of the universe comes into time in history Jesus God the son himself incarnates as one of us he feels the pain that you feel. He feels the inadequacies, the shame, the guilt that you feel. He hears and has experienced every tear that you've cried in the middle of the night. God empathizes, sympathizes and empathizes. He knows you by name. He purposed you in his heart before the foundation of the earth. He feels it. He comes to walk our shoes, our life, and live the life that we should have lived and then he takes the cross and he dies the death that we deserved to die and on the third day he rose again he rises again from the dead proving that he conquered our two greatest enemies sin and death reversing the curse of covenantally unfaithfulness of our covenantly unfaithfulness procuring for us a right standing with god and abundant life now and forevermore you see what is going on Jesus, and I might have that as well, is not merely just your good example. He doesn't come with good advice. He doesn't just come and say, here's your best shot at getting this thing right. He doesn't say, buy my books. Here are seven steps to it. I guarantee you. And if it doesn't work, I'll return your money. He doesn't come with a set of laws and rules. He doesn't come with advice. He's a great teacher, the greatest of all teachers. He's not just your example. He is your substitute. He is mine and yours substitute. Look carefully at verses 17 and 18 as we get ready for home stretch here. Again, one more time. There he is. There is the promised Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the world. Verse 17. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. 
Does that narrative sound familiar at all in any way? Listen to it again one more time carefully. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen over the land, did that happen? Did that happen again? Are you familiar with this language? Smoking fire, a smoking fire pot with blazing torch appearing and passed between the pieces. Is this a picture when the dark clouds rolled in and the earth shook? And on this mount called Golgotha, outside the city, on the out, as an outcast, son of God, God the Son himself hung and experienced the knife, the surgical procedure of being split and torn apart and separated from the Father. As if God himself was inviting you and I, covenant breakers, taking us by the hand and saying, I'll walk you down the aisle. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to fulfill the terms of this covenant in your stead, in your place. I'm going to do for you what you could have never done for yourself. On that gory night, and as we're about to celebrate and taste and see, reenact again the terms of the new covenant. The one who was slain, the one who was split, the one who was torn apart in two. Nothing he had done for everything you and I have done. And he did it with such resolve. He did it with such grace. He did it with such mercy. He did it with such love. He took the cup that night, and as we're going to do, and he says, this is the new covenant. You couldn't keep the old one, so I will keep the new covenant in your place for you. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. On that night on Brickle, God invited you because he wanted to make a covenant with you. Maybe you have already experienced that. Maybe you remember when God made that covenant with you. But maybe to you, it's the very first time. It's here. It's tonight. Why would you want to leave the same way you came in? If the Holy Spirit of God is tugging you at the heart, says, I want to make a covenant with you. I want to take you down the aisle. And I'll promise to never leave you, to never forsake you. I'll give all of me. I am everything your heart has been yearning for. I'm more than anything your soul has been thirsting, hungering, and in this quest to find. I'm more than anything this world could ever give. Take my hand. Hear my tender whisper. I want to make a covenant with you. He says, I'll give you a land. Abraham says, what land? And the one who says and has in our place fulfilled the new covenant says, I'll give you a land, a new heaven, a new earth to long for. A place where there's no more shame, no more pain, no more tears where all wrongs will be put to right, where everything evil will come untrue, where you will be with me face to face. The meal that we're about to celebrate, that's the great promise. 
not just to Abraham, but to each and every one of us, is that he, one day he says, I'm going to have this meal face to face. You won't see me as an, in a dim mirror, but you'll see me face to, face to face again. Just as I was when I walked with you in the cool of the day. You see? On the sheer basis of Jesus' perfect, one-way, ineffable, exhausting love and work for you and for me. A covenant giver. Covenant breakers. Which is why Jesus had to come to be our only covenant keeper and the one who did for us what we could have never done for ourselves. That's the best definition of grace. And it's free and it's available for you tonight. Will you bow your heads, close your eyes with me. I want to afford us just for less than a minute for a calm to settle over this room tonight. And if you ever, why am I here? I'm here to remind you, sure, your heart, that you're not here by accident. God's brought you here. There's a reason. There's a purpose. And while you thought you've been chasing him your entire life, you've come to realize that he's the one who's been chasing after you. And he's saying, if all you trust me, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, nothing else, I'll come in, I'll give you new life, and I'll change you from the inside out. And you'll know the quality in the heart of the covenant giver. Father, we fall at your feet and we worship in response to your ineffable love, to your, your grace that sees no boundaries, that sees no end. And we thank you for adopting us into Abraham's seed. As children of the covenant, as children of the promise, because you are a God of promises. And every promise of yours in Jesus Tonight and every night is yes. And no matter how far we've run from you, no matter how deep we've fallen, we can never go further than your grace can reach us. And here we are yet again. This is a divine appointment. Reach down deep. Do heart transplants here tonight. Fulfill your covenant once again, O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, David. O host of this table that we're about to partake, thank you for your invitation for us to belong, a seat prepared for us. That is your perfect covenant with us, that we would be called the beloved sons and daughters of the living God, co-heirs with Abraham. And a multitude greater than the number of all the constellations in this universe. Father, you alone are good. 
you alone are God. Make us every day more like our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name. All God's people said, all God's people said,